The reason I call it outer boundaries, by the way, it's, it's the furthest out you're going to go that you're going to expect people to believe or swallow. Like, I just want you to believe that people can breathe in space. I need you to believe that. So, so you set it up right away and people will buy it. You can't spring that on them an hour into your story. Hello, and welcome to You Are a Storyteller. In this episode, Brian and Jesse discuss why outer boundaries matter in storytelling. Without taking the time to set boundaries in the first act, you miss out on an emotional bond with your audience, and you fail to create parameters for what's believable in the story that follows. This week's episode, we're going to talk about outer boundaries. Um, but before we get into that, I wanted to kick off with an idea that you and I were geeking out about last night, because I think it's a helpful framework, okay? Okay. So just hang on with me. Okay. So the other day, I heard this like trainer say this thing kind of offhanded, and it blew my damn mind. Uh, she said, remember, you need to always know the difference between racing and training. And I was like, okay. And she said, when you're racing, it's all about going to your strength. And I was like, all right. And she said, the, the difference is, is that the other 95% of the time, you're not racing, you're training which is not about going to your strength. It's about the opposite. It's going directly to your weakness and making your weaknesses strong. And I was like, I don't know if it just hit me at the right time, but I was like, I had to stop what I was doing and write that down. I was like racing or training, racing or training, because the big problem is, is if you think you're always racing, you will, it's like the one person at the gym that all they do is work out one arm and they got this big, but it's like, but they're really weak in every other spot. Right. Um, but you and I were geeking out about that idea of racing or training. Mm-hmm. First one is focus on your strengths versus focusing 100% on your weaknesses. Where am I weakest? You also seem to respond to that. What, did, what was it that, that stuck out to you with that? Well, I often tell people, uh, if you favor your good leg, I always say it like that. If you favor your good leg, you will limp. Right? Dang, that's good. So, so. So that's what yeah. people do. They, if they if they're good at one thing, or they believe they're good at one thing. So if they believe they're good at dialogue, they'll lean so hard into dialogue, but w- won't learn anything about how to tell yeah. stories with pictures if they're writing a screenplay because they can hide behind their strengths. Mm-hmm. Um, and it yep. and, and limp. And in fact, what often happens is if they're good at one particular thing, they will tell you those other things are not important. The kind of sour grapes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I don't yeah. need to know that because I'm so good at dialogue. Dialogue's a yeah, thing. Yeah, They'll make yeah. it the thing and they won't go, yeah, I'm not good at that. I better lean into yeah. that and figure that out. Um, That's right. It's a big problem. It's one of the hardest things to habits to break people of. But the people I know who are really good always gravitate towards the things uh, they're bad at and they will tackle them head on. Glenn Keane's like that. I have a friend at, at Pixar who's like that. Um, we'll try to figure out what he's bad at and, and, and fix it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and the coolest part about the framework is going, instead of going, well, I don't want to focus on that cause I'm bad at it. It's like, no, 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 you're trained. It's like, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Majority of the time you should be just thinking about where am I the weakest? So I can get stronger. You're not losing. We're, right. not, even ra- we're not even racing yet. <laughs> right. The hard part is if you haven't been training and when it comes time to race, if all you've been doing is working on your biceps and you're running a race, guess what? Those biceps aren't going to help you, yep. right? Yep. There's a lot of people that know one magic trick, and then they get in front of an audience more than once, and the audience is like, we showed it to us last time. <laughs> right. What they yeah. should have been doing is they should have been focusing on their weakness. Just as a reminder, what we're doing with this with this series is we're just, this is all about training. It's like, it's like some of these concepts might feel like, you know, beginner to you or whatever, but I promise the more you think about them and the more that you lean into it, or if you hear something that maybe you say on the episode, Brian, that you don't understand, instead of just assuming you misheard or whatever, it's like, read a book, figure it out, watch the movies that are referenced, all that stuff. That's all training, right? And it's all there to get you strong. So with, by the time you're ready to race, you're going to feel good about yourself instead of go waiting for somebody to figure out that you don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, and I think that there's also uh, a tend. We don't have a an educational system or society that says it's okay to be wrong, uh, and so people always want to be right, 
And if they always want to be right, then they will always be in that racing mode and not in that training mode because the training mm. mode, they're wrong in there. So, so they don't mm. want to be in that space, right? Um, you and I are both dyslexic. And I always tell people about dyslexia, the thing, one of the great things about dyslexia, which is a horrible thing to go through when you're a kid, but one of the great things about it is it teaches you to be okay with being wrong because you're wrong so often, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you're not as uncomfortable being wrong as other people seem to be. So you're, you're, um, you're less risk averse where it's like, I'll try yeah. that, I'll lean into that. Or you're not, you're not discouraged if something takes you a long time to understand. Whereas yeah. uh, the people I know who think they get things quickly, if they struggle with something for even just a little while, sometimes they're just like, they throw their hands up. It's too much. The, the anxiety is too much. And it's like, oh man, try being a dyslexic in the fifth grade. Get back to me. <laughs> you know, you know, well, it's a, I told you I've been reading all those, those Chinese proverbs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was the one where uh, it said, you know, those who ask questions are a fool for a moment. Those who don't ask questions are a fool for a lifetime. Right. It's the same type of thing. It's like, be the one person that's brave enough to go. I don't understand what that word means. You yeah. just use the word donculator. I don't even know what that means. Or, you know, wait, hold on. Everybody else is going, yeah, yeah, we get it. And you're like, I still don't understand. Can you run that by me one more time? Right. You've said it tons of times that like the students that say, I got it, I got it, I got it. Don't. And yeah. the ones that struggle with it are getting it at a whole different level. Yep. Right? Yeah. The strugglers are the, be the better students. Um, yeah. The we, training. The ones that know they're in training. Yeah. They're the, always the better students. They don't feel that way. I'm always trying to explain it to them. And the people who think they, they got, they'll stop listening. If people think they have it, they stop listening. Brian, I've been in class where people show up and they think it's a race. Right. Right. And yeah. you're like, you're like trying to set up like the first act of an idea and they're going, hold on, hold on. What about Joseph Kim? It's like, he hasn't, he's setting up the outer boundaries. He hasn't right. even got to the story yet. And because they think it's about them and they're going, well, I got to make sure everybody else in the class knows that I'm here to race. And it's like, dude, none of us are racing. Right. We're all here just because we're trying to get stronger. Yeah. Fucking settle down a little bit, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it distracts everybody else who's there just to train. Mm -hmm. This asshole over here is trying to prove that he's like race ready. And the funny thing about when people do that is they don't realize how weak they look to everyone else. Yeah. They think that posturing makes them look strong and everybody looks at them and it's just like, will you shut up? We paid money to be here. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to prove how smart you are. If you were that smart, you want to be in class to begin with. <laughs> right. right. You know what right. I'm saying? So let's just all go. We're all coming from a position of training and let's try to learn something. Right. So that by the time we get a chance to race, we'll be ready. Well, I, yeah. That reminds me, I, I've told you this story before. I think I've even talked about it on the show, but it's worth bringing up again, which is uh, a friend of mine, uh, he was visiting up from California and we were walking around and uh, he ran into somebody he knew. And, and this was a young person. This is several years ago now, but this is a pretty young person, this woman he's talking to. And uh, she said, um, you know, I, I'm starting my own martial art. And to my friend and I'm like, Oh, okay. I, that seems weird for a young person. I mean, I just totally were like, was like, really, you're starting your own martial art. Really? You know, those things take thousands of years to develop and or hundreds of years anyway. Um, you know, okay, sure. You're starting your own, well, it's in the back of my head. And, uh, they have their conversation. She leaves. Uh, now my friend studied martial arts for a long time in his life and, and taught martial arts in Korea and, and, uh, um, anyway, he studied for a long time, so he knows what he's talking about. And he said to me when she left, that woman is the best martial artist I've ever seen. And I, I like, oh, really? And he said, oh, yeah, she um, she has all these different she knows all these different martial arts, like all kinds. And she's at the top of those things. Like if it's a black belt, that's what she's got or whatever it is. Her rankings are high in all these things. And he says, you know how she does it? is that whenever she takes a new martial art, she, she, she doesn't tell the teacher that she knows anything. She comes in so smart completely as a beginner because she said, well, if you tell them, you know, something, they don't teach you everything. Mm. So she, wow. wait, hold on a second. You said, if you tell them, you know, something, they assume things and they don't actually teach you everything. Yeah. That's great. Isn't that, so I was like, oh, maybe she is making her own martial art. Good for her. Like, I was like, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you know, 
Um, but yeah, that's how she did it was always, um, having a beginner's mind, um, which is a hard thing for people to do because once you acquire a certain amount of knowledge or skill, um, you, you identify yourself by having that knowledge and skill and it's hard to go back to zero. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an ego. It's a, it's a bloated, right. right. Yeah. Um, uh, to be a beginner again, but it's amazing. If you can get rid of your ego and start again every time, uh, like it's new, it's amazing what you learn. Um, and it, it opens the possibility that you may not understand things as well as you think they do, because now you're looking at it from another angle. Um, and you're like, Oh, I was completely mistaken about this because I was only looking at it from this perspective. But when you look at it over here, it looks like this. And now you have a fuller picture. Um, but yeah, that's the best people I know are always people who do that. The best at what they do are the people who do that. Um, other people will just stick to their guns about their strengths and favor their good leg and limp. When did you, when did you first become aware of this idea of outer boundaries? Am I saying that right? I always mess it up. Sometimes they say out of boundaries, but it's outer boundaries. Right? Outer, outer, like outer, outer shell. Yeah, or I always outer, mess that up. Outer boundaries. So where did, when did you become aware of outer boundaries? So what, what, A, how'd you, how'd you start seeing that? And B, what, what, what does that mean? Okay. So the first time I, I sort of became aware of it was in uh, 1982 uh, when I saw John Carpenter's The Thing in the movie theater. The first act of The Thing, um, almost nothing happens. Um, you know, and then, and then later, you know, this dog turns out to be this creature and, but you don't know any of that. You, you get a hint at it, but you don't know any of that. And I remember watching it. And at the very, very beginning of that movie, there's, you see the earth and you see a, a spaceship that looks kind of out of control headed towards the earth. And it, it burnt, it sort of burns going into the atmosphere. Um, and you, so you, so there's a spaceship. So that spaceship is a perfect outer boundaries because what that allows you to do is, is say to the audience, there's going to be something here that is um, unusual, something, um, you know, there's a science fiction element here. So even though you won't see that for a while, you have primed the audience to understand that that's possible within the confines of this reality, right? And so that buys you uh, all the time you need to set up characters, to set up whatever. Um, so, um, and that and that creates the emotional context. So, um, you know, there are people dying right now. As I talk, as we speak, there are people dying right now. Now, unless you know those people, that's mm -hmm. a, essentially a statistic, right? Like, oh, people, sure, sure, people are dying right now. But if you know them, that's different. Yeah. Right? Um, even if you know them a little bit, it's different. Oh, that's my neighbor. Oh, man. Yep. That's right. It could be that or the closer it gets, the you know, the, the, the more impact that's going to have on you, right? Yeah. And so one of the things a first act does is create a relationship between the, the characters you want people to identify with and the audience. So that when something, the end of the first act, when something changes, they have an emotional response. Yeah. Now we live in a time when people say, just cut to the thing happening. And so that's what people do. They cut out the first act and they have the thing happen, but there's no emotional response. Yep. Um, and so what, what, because there's been no time. Yes. Like literally it seems like all your examples, you're saying, the more time, if you're like, oh, my mechanic died, you're like, man, Joe died? Oh, man, I bet Joe's been fixing my car for 15 years. That's going to hit you way harder than, oh, my, my, the, the barista died. And you're like, oh, that's really sad. I mean, I only met him once or twice. It's, so time seems to have a lot to do with it, right? I had a mechanic in Los Angeles. <laughs> he was, uh, he was. It's uh, hard to find a good mechanic in Los Angeles. That's the only reason I was laughing because I was like, I No, this guy was amazing. Yeah, yeah uh -huh. he was. Um, he was uh, from Iraq. He was an Iraqi Christian. Uh, couldn't have been a nicer guy. This guy was so cool. 
that you would take your car. I would take my car to him and I'd say, you know, and I was broke. This is, you know, Los Angeles broke where you're trying to make it in the movie business. There's no Los other, Angeles broke. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Good. You know yeah, what I'm oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you, I bring my, I bring my car in and he, I tell him what was wrong with it. And he goes, oh, that's going to be like $500, which might as well have been a million dollars, right? <laughs> you say that's $500 probably. And I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And so then he would fix the car and you'd go to get it. Um, and, uh, he'd say, oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's $50. Wow. That's how cool that guy was. So I trusted this guy implicitly. Couldn't have been a more honest, nicer, just a sweet, sweet human being. One day I went in there. This was during, uh, the first Gulf war with George Bush, the first, uh, so, uh, it's during the first Gulf war. So one day I went in. And it was a whole different crew. Like there was like my mechanic wasn't there. There was a whole different group of people. And uh, I'm like, hey, where's I forget his name now. It's like, where is he? And they're like, oh, he's he's not here. He's not going to be here anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, somebody came in yesterday and shot him in the head. Because he's Iraqi. Um, He didn't die. Um, And I said, is he OK? And they go, well, he's not OK. So I never I don't know what his condition was. But he, he didn't die from it, but it wasn't good. Wow. But what gives that it's the real impact is knowing who he was. Right. I could tell you that story without telling you um, how he was, how honest he was and how what a good guy he was. But that has a different impact than knowing what a good guy he was does. That gives you something else. That gives yeah. you the content. It would be a tragedy regardless. Of course. But there's something about being closer to him and knowing. Yeah. Right? And so if if instead the story starts with, I walked into my mechanic and I was like, hey, where's everybody out? And they're like, he's not here anymore. Anyways, and then the guy's fixed my car. It'd be like, well, I didn't know really know. What was the point of that story, Brian? Where, where were we going with that? Right. I, or if Apparently I just said the guy I that used to in, work there got shot or something, I don't yeah, know. Right. Yeah. Even if I said that, yeah, I walked in one day and my mechanic wasn't there because he'd been shot in the head because he was Iraqi. Like I would still be tragic. Wouldn't be the same thing because mm. you don't know. Him. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Because you don't know him. Yeah. And, and, and the pressure, there's so much pressure because like you said in, in, um, thing or whatever, where they go. I mean, the funny thing is that it's like Hitchcock does this. All the greats do all this where you're like, well, you know, I mean, watch rear window. It seems like nothing's really happening at the beginning or, you know, it's like, there's not, it's like everything is happening. Right. Everything is happening. <laughs> right. And it, and it, and if it's being done right, it will really matter later on. Yep. Everything. This, the, the shot of all the pictures frame, the one that pictures that not the broken camera, all that. He was like, oh, it's just a bunch of pictures, and, you know, a broken camera and, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Grace Kelly comes in. It's, it's it, that context is massive it's massive and now people really want to cut to almost the curtain of act one right because they want to save time but imagine this you you're like i don't need to date that person we'll just get married and you go why you're like well i want to save time and you go like <laughs> some things are worth the time like don't you want to get to know this person <laughs> right and you're like no that's all the boring stuff just cut to the part where we get married you're like oh right. shit yeah. it's about to get real yeah fast yeah. right yeah. Yeah. It's remember no. you're spending time. You're is it's not, well, I guess not as, as long as you're not wasting time is different than investing time or spending time. Right? right. Like if you're wasting the audience time, that's totally different. That's not what you're talking about. No, because if all of a sudden you were bringing up a bunch of stuff and you know, all this stuff, it had nothing to do with what was coming in the second act. That's when you start wasting someone's time. Yeah. Well, that's another also, thing. Also, can, can I say this real quick? Yeah. You, how you didn't even think of have to think about that. Like you didn't, you weren't thinking you were just talking. This goes right. back to how everything you need to know about how to structure something. You can observe in a conversation. You weren't going, how do I make sure I get all my outer boundaries pieces in what your brain is naturally going. Yeah. This is a, this is relevant. This is relevant. Your brain doesn't go, Oh, should I bring up the fact that he drove a Corvair? No, that's not relevant. Uh, you, yep. You're just going, you're grabbing all the, you're grabbing all this stuff when you're talking. Right. And, and at some point you went, that's everything I need. Now I'm going to transition into, so I came back the next day. Right. That's all that's happening. Yeah. This isn't magic. You're just pointing out. <laughs> right. Right. 
yeah, it's just the way we speak. It's the way we process information. It's the way we commu- communicate in natural everyday speech. Um, and that's all that's happening. You will, you will have an outer boundaries. Um, you'll do that. In fact, it's, it's, um, people will do it. They'll say, you know, a lot of times when I talk story structure, people confuse that with chronology, right? Mm. They confuse this like, well, so you mean it has to go in this order? I'm like, it doesn't have to go in that order. And so when they say things like, um, you know, the people who have done a story backwards or out of order, and they think that, oh, it's a different structure. It's like, it's not a different structure. Structure is structure. Right. Yeah. Right. It all depends on what it's what you're trying to build. Right. So so the structure Mm -hmm. for a a house is different from the structure of a skyscraper, but for a skyscraper, but it's still structure. It's still. Yeah. Right. Principles apply. There's still math. Like you can only put this much weight on this type of a beam, regardless of (laughs) if it's a pyramid or whatever. Right. 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 Yeah. So here's an example of how people use use an outer boundaries in their life that also ties into chronology. They might start start a story by saying, uh, I was in a terrible car wreck yesterday. Now that's the outer boundaries. That's the end, essentially, of the story. You know they're okay. They're standing in front of you, right? I was in a terrible car wreck yesterday. So I'm on the freeway. Oh, now they're back in time. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Right? Yep. Yeah. Because the, the outer boundaries, now you know what you're listening for. Oh, my God. And for me, when people structure things properly, it do, you don't get anxious. You ever had somebody who, you know, who doesn't, if somebody doesn't give you an outer boundaries, I start going, I start getting frustrated. I'm like, I don't understand. Wait, what's going on? Am I missing this or whatever? Yep. 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 You don't know why you're, you're talking listening. in code. In essence, what you're saying is, I know that this is how every human works, but I'm going to decide to not adhere to that. <laughs> right. And you go, why? Because I'm trying to make the point that I can start Star Wars uh, as the Millennium Falcon lifts off and heads into space. And you're like, wait, who's this kid? Who's the, the Millennium Falcon guy? Why is there a big, like, you know, furry, you know, creature? <laughs> right. You'd be like, what the hell? Does anybody know what's going on? Yeah. It's like your uncle when he walked into a, uh, uh, castaway. Uh, uh, castaway late yeah and he's like i don't like that movie it's like you wouldn't like start pick your favorite movie take out the first act you wouldn't like it i promise yeah take out the first act of the godfather yeah you'd be like does anyone know what's going on yeah. everything that you learn okay don corleone he's a gr- he won't kill right this man for no reason now your daughter your daughter's not dead all these things there's this guy michael Right. This guy, Michael, now he went to war. He's not a part of the family business. And he's got this yeah. new girlfriend named Kay. There's this other guy who's kind of a sloppy drunk. Something about Fredo. He's probably going to come back later and you're starting to realize his weakness. Take all of that away. Yeah. And then drop somebody into that movie. Yep. It doesn't. Then, it, they, then it's bad all of a sudden. Um, so uh, you mentioned Star Wars, A New Hope, what the young people call episode four. Right. I call it Star Wars. Yeah. But, 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 um, so true. Yeah. yeah. But, um, it has a really great outer boundaries. You think the whole thing's this sort of sci fi fantasy, the whole thing is an outer boundaries, but that's not true. So, yeah. at the very opening of that piece, um, you see that little ship go overhead and then that huge Star Destroyer, right? And it just keeps coming. I remember sitting in the theater and it just, it just kept going. And yeah. and there was a an almost an audible gasp, like it just kept. Nobody yeah. ever seen anything like this before, right? Contrast, yeah. But yes, um, it immediately tells you through that contrast what this thing is going to be about on some level. Mm-hmm. That you have yep. a small ship against the big empire. You have a small group, and you have a big, all powerful group. They and there's they, a planet over here for some reason, right? Right? Yeah, right? Yeah. But they right away they tell you like oh this these are this this is what's going on small you know yeah small person against big person essentially also look um, at the way that they're architected everything the colors yeah. of the ships the whole thing you're like oh yeah so you, what you get there you get uh, the outer boundaries of Darth Vader and and all of yeah. that stuff right and the you know the droids 
yeah, yeah, all that, all yeah. that stuff, right? Because then what happens after all of that is you see, even though it seems like it would be an outer boundaries, it's not. It's a pretty pretty regular life that Luke has. He's got chores to do, and right? yeah, <laughs> like you know, yeah. he's just uh, some kid on a farm, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and so yeah, he's uh, just trying to go into town to get some power inverters, and now all of a sudden he's got to go do this instead. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So he's ju- he's just a kid with his crappy car, and you know, uh-huh. um, and it's sort of um, it's not an outer boundaries in a strange way. Um, so because later you're going to be sucked into he's going to be sucked into this. Oh world, yeah, right. Yeah, but but letting you know who he is that he's just a simple farm boy and he doesn't he you like oh he lives with his aunt and uncle that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like all. If you go back and you look at that and go, imagine just imagine taking that away. He yeah. doesn't meet old Ben, old Ben Kenobi. Who's yeah. that? It's like take that out. All of a sudden, think about even the droid interactions, mm-hmm. where it's like, who's this? Oh, she needs help or whatever. You know, it, it's like all of that. If you said that's boring, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. What do you then? You go well. Then what are what are we doing here? Yeah. And, and also, you, I remember you explained it to me one time, and I think you used Harry Potter, where you were like, you also have to explain all the stuff you can and can't do. So we right. find that we don't see Luke can't fly like Superman. Right. We, we, we do have these weird like sticks that light up, right. and there are robots that talk. Right. We know there's spaceships. Like you were, you, you were like, if all of a sudden there was no droids, and then in the second act, all of a sudden a droid walks up by, you'd be like, when did that, when did we start doing that? Right. right. Like, so can you talk about what what you need to include in in your outer boundaries? Yeah. Well, one of the things you want to do and now you have really. The entire first act, right, you could save your outer boundaries like bit, And the reason I call it outer boundaries, by the way, it's, it's the it is the furthest thing, the most outrageous thing or impossible thing, whatever it is, it's the furthest out you're going to go that you're going to expect people to believe or swallow. Like, I just want you to believe that people can breathe in space. I need you to believe that. So, so you set it up right away and people will buy it. People will buy anything you set up right away. If you say a duck walks into a bar, people are like, okay. And then what happened? They don't question the duck walking into a bar, right? They, they, okay, I get it. A duck walks into a bar. You can't spring that on them an hour into your story. Right. Yeah, that's right. 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 Yeah. They don't buy it. Right. So one of the things you're setting up is you're saying, these are all the things that are possible here. These are the rules here. Um, and even if you have a completely fantastic world like Star Wars, yeah. there are still rules. Yep. Right. Um, and you can't break those rules. Um, when that happens, people um, look, people will believe anything. They, but they have to believe it can happen in the world you've set up. So, yep. uh, so when that happens, people feel cheated. They often groan. Um, you know, um, there, I, uh, there's some movies I can't talk about where, where people have okay. talked about. We talk about what this is from. Oh yeah. Cause I brought this in. This is from your office. That's from my office. Mm-hmm. So that is, um, that's from, uh, a Spielberg episode of amazing stories that he directed. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, that, uh, that's a, it's in, I mentioned it in invisible link in the book. My, my mentor, Bruce Walters worked on that episode. And so he had that original piece of art from that episode. And so when he read it in the book, he's like, I've had this for years. Do you want this? <laughs> what, are you kidding me? So, uh, so I, I have that, but, um, because it was given to them by the art director so they could match something. But anyway, so here's the deal that, and we've watched it at belief. I showed it and everybody mm-hmm. felt what I was talking about. Yeah. Everybody felt it. They didn't even, Man, want there's it. so much craft in it too. Like yeah. the way it's he so, lenses that thing and everything. It's so good. It's so, there's such amazing work in it. And yeah. I remember, um, I saw it. Um, with a bunch of my friends, we were watching it as it aired for the first time, whatever it was, 1980, whatever it was. And we're watching it and, um, we're into it. Like this is takes place during world war two. These guys are on a B 17 bomber. And, um, and so they're, they're on this bomber. They're flying this mission. 
across the English chan Channel to bomb something in uh, in Germany and then fly back. So uh, they they have a, a guy with them that they they is their good luck charm. They call him their, their good luck charm, and he's um, uh, he's been on a ton of missions. Um, and they only let you fly so many missions back then because it was so dangerous and your life expectancy was short often as a, as a person on a bomber, so uh, a bombing mission. So they would, they, they limited how many times you could do it. So, uh, anyway, this guy was past his limit, but he, they, he's a good luck charm. Come on, captain, let him do it. You know, so they let him do it. He's the belly gunner. So, um, on a B-17, they had all these different guns to shoot, you know, enemy aircraft and everything. And so. One of the guns um, is on the belly of the ship. Um, is the belly gun? Is the belly on that drawing? It's it is. It's in the very. Oh yeah, back. right there. Yeah. yeah. So so it's, a, it's like a plexiglass ball, and mm -hmm. the the gunner goes down there and he sits in this in this plexiglass ball, um, and you know he protects the plane from underneath. And so that's what this guy's job is. So he's in there. There's a lid. Whatever he's in there, he's doing his thing. Uh, turns out this guy wants to work at Disney Studios. So he's always doing these uh, drawings and passing them. There's a little hole he can pass things through. So he'll do caricatures of all his, all his crewmates and everything. And, you know, they, they think he's just the greatest. So they go on this bombing run and uh, they get hit. Um, there's a fire. Um, they, they're able to put the fire out um, and they're, they're coming home. And the, the guy wants to get out of the belly. And they realize that the fire has welded the thing shut so he can't get out. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll find a way to get him out. And they keep trying to get him out. And they keep trying to get him out. And it is so intense because it just gets worse and worse and worse. And, they and it's realize, Spielberg. So he's building it like crazy. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Because I'll tell you this. When it was over, my friend said it was awful. And I was like, no, it was good. That's the problem. That's why you're disappointed because it was working because yeah. you get so invested. And, and then they, they try the landing gear and they realize the landing gear doesn't come down. So that means they have to land on their belly. And that means he will be crushed when they land. So they're trying everything. They're trying everything to get this guy out of there and they can't get him out. They can't get him out. And um, finally his uh, they're like, well, the only thing we can do they don't even say it out loud, but basically it's like, well, let's shoot him, you know, so that he put him out of his miseries. So his best friend is going to be the one who, who uh, shoots him in the head. Uh, and they, they, he doesn't know that's happening, but he knows that he, he's probably going to die. And at one point, everybody, all the crew puts their hand through the, through the little hole. Past oh my the hole God. And it's rubs so his good. Head yeah. And he, you know, he's like, I mean, he's going to die and they all know it. It's intense. And, and his friend is like, okay, he's got the gun and he's ready to shoot his best friend. And the guy is uh, in the belly is, is drawing and he's drawing that drawing. And he, he's like, I can't, I can't die. I'm going to work at Disney studios. I can't, I can't die. I can't die. And he's, and he, and he draws these wheels, those wheels you saw in that drawing, those big cartoon wheels. And then they cut, he's in this sort of trance and they cut to the outside of the plane and these big balloon cartoon wheels come out. And I remember we all groaned and yeah. when I showed it at belief. Everybody did the same thing. Yeah. It's like right. Roger rabbit style, a real plane. Yeah. And the cartoon like wheels pop out. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they pop out, they're able to land on these cartoon wheels and he, he doesn't die. And then they take him out and the damn thing crashes. And it crashed. Yeah. 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 And, um, it, it, yeah, it, it, it was disappointing because it was working. Um, but they didn't, they, they made the reality, they made it so real mm -hmm. that you, it's like, well, that can't happen. You didn't tell me that could happen. You lied yeah. to me. Um, yeah. And this actually, what's the other thing that's important about that is, um, that's a really, that's a duas es machina, right? That's a duas es machina means God from the machine, right? And that came out of, um, Greek theater when a hero would get in trouble, 
a playwright would write a play and the hero would get in trouble and there was no way out of it. And then at the end, they would have Apollo come out of the sky or somebody. And it was dissatisfying. Audiences were not satisfied with that. They want the, the hero to solve the problem. The reason I think that that matters is because if you think of stories as I do and as you do as survival information, we're watching the story to figure out how to get out of these things. We're watching yeah. the story to figure out how to survive. And if you cheat us out of that, then you haven't gotten anything, right? So it's like, well, you didn't tell me how to live through this situation. Yep. Right? That's why it's so compelling. How's he going to Whereas the miracle on the Hudson, similar type of a situation. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, how did he do it? Whatever, whatever, right? Yeah. And they paid it off. Yeah, I mean, it's our true story, but right, yeah. you know, and there's tons of stories like that, but it, you're talking about lying. It's like, it's right. going like, well, really, if you don't do your outer boundaries correctly, it will feel like a lie because all of a sudden it's you cheated. Yep. There was no cartoons at all in the first or the second act. None. Right. There's these little drawings, but there's no, like, the difference is even in like a Roger Rabbit first act, you see tons of cartoons walking around. You're like, right. in this world, it's like Mary Poppins. Like, it's like, well, in like in this world or Ben does a broomsticks or something, you know, where you have yeah. to set up. There's magic here. It manifests itself in this way of like that. There's cartoons and people. Yeah. If you don't ever say that, it feels like a trick. Right. You feel dumb for having been in, like you literally you're watching you're like, well, now I feel dumb that I was emotionally invested. Right. Right. Whereas you don't feel dumb for being emotionally invested in E.T. Right. 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 But you do feel dumb for being emotionally invested in this show and caring about this guy. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, um, but, but you also said, you also said that in Raiders. Yeah. It's in there so that it doesn't become the same problem. Right. The, the funny thing about Raiders of the Lost Ark is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Li literally, Duas Machina is God from the machine or God from the box. Literally God <laughs> comes out of a box. Right. And kills Nazis uh -huh. through that movie, essentially. How were they able to do that? Right. How, why did we swallow that? Why, how were we able to get to do that? Well, that was it. There are a couple of reasons. So they had two kinds of reality to set up. So, uh, they had this, um, so they had their outer boundaries where at the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you see Indiana Jones in the jungle and all of that. And then he, he goes into that old temple and steals the idol and you see all the booby traps and all that stuff. And that's one kind of reality. It's sort of, this ancient high tech thing that, you know, um, with all the booby traps and everything. So like, even the don't go into the light, there's like an electric eye almost or whatever, like it's crazy in there, you know, but that's one kind of reality, but that's not supernatural or metaphysical in any way. Right. So, so they've set up one kind of reality, but how do they get the, the God from the machine thing to work? Well, there are a couple of things. They throughout that piece, they are hinting because this is the other way you can do it. You can give people little pieces of it throughout. Right? Yeah. So it's cool because what happens is you see Indiana Jones in the field with this crazy hyper reality. And then you see him in the classroom teaching. Right. If you start with him in the classroom teaching, it's much harder to swallow him being the adventuring guy later on. Right. Mm -hmm. So seeing him as That's that guy. Super smart. Yeah. Super smart. Yeah. So, so anyway, so the government guys come to see him and they say, Hitler wants this and you got to get it before Hitler and, and all of that. Well, what's really important is that, um, he's explaining what the Ark of the Covenant is to these government guys. They don't know what it yeah. is. And, uh, and they, they see the, the beam coming out of the, of the Ark. Um, and killing this army, destroying this army. And they are like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's lightning, fire, the power of God, if you believe in that kind of thing. Right, right. Because he does yeah. that kind of thing, right? Um, and then later, his friend Marcus, you know, Indiana Jones is packing to go uh, to try to get the headpiece to the staff of raw that's going to tell him where the thing is. Anyway, he's packing uh, and uh, to go to Nepal. And his friend Marcus comes over and he's... Uh, He's like, Indy, you're going after the Ark. This is a big deal. This is, you know, this is a big deal. You don't, no one knows its power. No one knows its secrets. He's talking about the Ark. And Indiana Jones is like, 
what are you talking about? I'm going after this great archaeological find and you're talking about the boogeyman, right? So he's, he doesn't yeah. believe in any of this stuff, right? So that's really important to the story. It's one of the things people leave out when they talk about a problem with this story. We'll talk about that in a second. So he, but he also shows the weapon. Yes. Well, he shows the gun. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, you know what a cautious fellow I am, right? Which also shows, hey, there's no boogeyman as long as I got my gun. As long as I got my gun. Now, that's right. true. That's true. Mm -hmm. The other thing you find out in the Outer Boundaries, by the way, is you find out like how he uses his whip and that he's good with a whip, right? That because he can't pull, you can't just pull that out later. Yeah. You don't believe that, right? It's one of right? the first things we learn about him. Yeah. Like, whoa. You hear the gun cock and he looks and all of a sudden it's boom, 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 right? Yeah. Also, if you just analyze that little section of how, how the amount of different angles that Spielberg uses in that spot where you see his eyes click, 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 click. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, there's some. And, good and I don't want to gloss over something you said a second ago. We're talking about Kasdan, okay? When, yeah. when going from the action into him in the classroom, like you're like, yeah, people gloss over that. It wouldn't have worked the other way. Think about what he just said. One move, and you don't believe the character, right? By it shows how good this person was at their job. <laughs> right, He's like, yeah. I know I need to show Indy in this context because people will buy it in this context next. Yeah. That's craft. And you know, it's craft because you didn't even notice it until Brian pointed it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. It just shows like, I just love it when you can start. That's why you call it invisible ink. Like I love it when you start to see those things and go, wow, wow. Lawrence is really good at his job. Yeah. Lawrence like, has he's, job. he's, really good at his job and it's yeah. like yeah man and the coolest thing is now that you can see that and what he did start watching other things you're gonna yeah. be able to start figuring out how to fix stuff you'll be like oh but Kasdan fixed that like this. oh i should try swapping this thing oh maybe i guess i need to right right it also means that you see things again that other people can't see and you'll say oh that didn't work and you'll know why and they'll say oh that's your opinion you're like no i have i know now yeah. How much better that could be. Yep. You know? Um, because you'll have examples of it in your head. You will have you, you know. So anyway. Uh, but uh, we also have an example that Indy can get out of situations. So oh, yeah. we know that he's crazy savvy. So when yeah. he says, I take precautions, I got my gun, I got my whip, we're like, well, we just saw him. Yeah, we know how you good know, he is. Whatever he him does. versus the world. So yeah. yeah, he's probably okay. He's not up against God or anything. Right, right. Right. Everything um, is building. You also know it's not perfect though. So he, so like when he takes the idol, yeah, right, he weighs uh -huh. it out. So you know it's not, he's going to get out of these scrapes, but he's not going to not have scrapes, right? You yeah. Know? You uh -huh. know, he doesn't walk through unscathed. Um, yeah. He thinks anyway. he's smart, but sometimes it bites him in the butt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, well, there's one point later on where he's, they, he's going to try to get the arc. And they're like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along. Right. Because he doesn't know how any of this stuff is going to work out either. Um, but anyway, so so he goes to uh, see Marion, who's a stat who isn't shown, but established that she exists uh, in that first act before he gets on the plane. And uh, and she has the headpiece he's looking for. He doesn't know she has it because he goes and asks for it. And she says, I don't I don't know where it is. Come back tomorrow. So he leaves her bar. Uh, she has this tavern in Nepal and he leaves. And uh, the Nazis come looking for it real quick. Can I say one thing? But yeah, he also set up her outer boundaries. Oh, yeah. He doesn't open up with locking it and going like, hey, Marion, I need that headspace. And she goes, come back tomorrow with $10,000. Right, right, yeah. They don't do that. They no. take the time yep. to set up who she is and how tough she is. Yep. Right? Again, yep. there's outer boundaries that are happening in that scene, too. No, that's true. Well, because you're establishing her. When she drinks that guy under the table, Yeah. right, later in the movie, she's drinking with Belloc when she's kept, right? And you know- it's it's so good. Like, yeah. I love it. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's so and you're it's, like, no way she's that drunk. Yeah. yeah. You know that she has a plan and you mm -hmm. know how well, how much she can drink, how much she can put away. It's brilliant. Yeah. When you start to see it, you're like, wow. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. So uh, I, oh, I jumped ahead to the Nazis coming to see her. That's not really important here. So what happens is she, um, Indiana Jones leaves and she takes out the headpiece um, 
which I have a replica of in my office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 She takes out the, um, the headpiece and, and she's looking at it. Uh, and she's kind of turning around and looking at it and the camera is looking is there's a, is a, in the foreground, there's a candle on the table and there's a really great music cue and there's a little wind that blows as she's looking at this. She even notices it like, no, that's weird, but goes back. That's the first indication that there's something about this thing that may be more than maybe metaphysical or supernatural in some way. Um, and that happens. They do these little hints. Um, later, there's a, a guy translating the writing on the headpiece, an old Egyptian man translating the writing on the headpiece. And as he's doing that, they're inside. Um, there's more wind that time. Yeah. Right? You, there's more wind. Um, and then later, when they find the ark and they're digging it up, it's a storm. Yeah. It's a storm, right? It's lightning. It's these roiling clouds, right? It's all that, right? How often is lightning used as symbolism for God? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Lightning and thunder, right? Thor's the thunder god. Zeus uses lightning. Like, it's just a thing, right? Um, that There's a, It's funny because, Brian, it was uh, Thomas Foster wrote the book, How to Read Literature Like a Professor. Mm -hmm. um, and in there, one of the things he always says is he goes, the rain is never just the rain. It's like the weather's no, the weather's never the weather. So right. if all of a sudden you're in the middle of Egypt and everything's fine. Right. And then they start messing with this hill and it starts thundering and lightning. Yeah. That should, you know, the weather's never just the weather. Yeah, that's exactly right. Unless you're a hack. Right. If you're a yes. hack and you're like, yeah. why the hell was it raining? It yeah. had nothing to do with the story. You're like. I don't know. That's just somebody guessing or right. whatever. Right. Well, that's why I always say to people that you are not the master of your story. People are always like, you can do whatever you want. It's like, not really. <laughs> you yeah. know? Not really. You can't, you don't get to do whatever you want. You have to do what the story requires. Right. And so anyway, so you even get to that point where, yeah, you get the, you got all the, the thunder and the lightning as they dig up the ark. What most people remember consciously is the first time you see anything supernatural is when the uh the swastika gets burned off the crate that has the ark the nazis have it and there's a swastika and the swastika burns off and a, like a rat kind of dies and right <laughs> you know uh and and that's the first time most people go oh something weird is going on but you've been primed the whole time yeah. to believe in this right so by the time you get to the end and they open the ark and things happen You've been primed for that. Like, oh, okay. Also, what happens? Wind, fire, yeah, all yeah. the things that you've already explained. <laughs> right, yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, so there's that. But uh, this is the thing, just a, a, this is a sidebar, which almost has nothing to do with the outer boundaries, but it's important. Lots of people have talked about uh, this mistake in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is that if you took Indiana Jones out of the story, he basically has no impact on the story because the Nazis would get the Ark, they would open it up, they would all be killed, they wouldn't have the Ark, and so Indiana Jones had no impact on, on the story. Um, I'm not sure how professional people don't see what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Because his Ark is going from being a guy who doesn't believe in God and things, anything like that. To saying, shut your eyes. Yeah, to totally believing in it. That's his arc. That's the story. Right, yeah. right. The arc if he still didn't believe, he wouldn't say, shut your eyes. Right. Literally, he understands he's on holy ground. Like, if, it's like, what do you think that, okay. <laughs> yeah. The difference is if Andy wasn't there, he wouldn't have learned that lesson. Right, that's the, that's the whole thing. That's the reason that's the reason to tell the story. Right. Yeah. And in fact, Indiana Jones is fighting for it when he's talking to the government. Who's going to government guys at the end? Who's going to take care of this? This has to be studied. You know what this is? Uh -huh. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's fighting for it differently, too. Right. Do you know what this is that you have to him? Yeah. It's not just archaeology anymore, it's which like is a clone at the beginning. When his buddy, when Marcus is going like, now, Indy, you know what you're going after, right? Right. Yeah. 
You know, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. Now he the shoe's on the other foot. Yeah. You know, it's just like in the odd couple, we've talked about that, where all of a sudden it's like you all of a sudden it's like, hey, get a coaster for that. It's right. a, it's like, okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. That's great. That makes sense. I, I almost feel like it's like this. It's like make a list of the things the audience has to know. Yeah. Okay, it's Paddington. It's like, okay, he's a he, he's a bear, he can talk. Okay, what else? He, okay, he's from Peru. That's important. What else? He likes marmalade, whatever the fuck. Like, it's like, okay, if you don't, all of a sudden you're like, when the hell did the bear start talking? Right. Right. It's like, whatever the thing is, it's going, what, what has to be known in order for this to not feel like, again, okay, Harry Potter. Great. It first thing you see the lights start flickering. It's like, okay, there's some sort of magic here. Oh, this cat turns into a person there. You can fly on a broom, but we only really see people on like a broom or whatever. Right. Oh, he's poor. He lives under the stairs. You right. know, yada, yada, there's owls, you know, oh, here's how they get to school. Like if, if those things weren't there and you just opened up with Harry getting dropped off at the train station <clears throat> and he just walks through a wall and you're like, what is going on? Right. Right. Now, if, if that's an outer boundaries for some reason, you can do that. Right. But but if you're saying what you really want to say is this is a kid who thinks he's a normal kid mm. who's not a normal kid. Right. Yeah. And so you have to set up the normal kid stuff. Yep. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't like talking about uh, television shows and movies that, uh, that are current because um, you step on people's toes because they love them and they have an attachment to them. But one of the things I didn't like about Breaking Bad, now there's everybody switching off their computer who loves, you know, Oh, forget it. This guy doesn't like breaking bad. But, but one of the things I didn't like about, I also it, love that you explained it, that they're switching it off. Like yeah. a big dial on the front of their computers. Oh yeah. They're yeah. Just, yeah, <laughs> <flipping> it <laughs> <off. laughs> but, he, but here's the thing. Um, Vince Gilligan said he, he was going to take that character um, from being Mr. Chips to Scarface. Now, if you know, Mr. Chips, Mr. Chips is a really, uh, he's a teacher, very sweet guy. Um, uh, it's a, they made a movie in the, I think thirties, 39, I think Mr. Chips. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Anyway, he's very, um, upstanding, very proper kind of character. And I'm like, well, you didn't do that. If that's what you said you were doing with Breaking Bad, you didn't do that. I've never saw him as Mr. Chips. He's never, he never was Mr. Chips mm. from the very beginning. Yeah. I know people yep. think it's great, but I was like, well, I don't, I, he, he didn't do what he said he was doing. It's just like the Grinch, the new Grinch is so Christmas where he's not even a Grinch anymore. He's just annoyed. It's <laughs> like all of a sudden it's like the Grinch has friends and stuff. You're like, why are we even telling this story? He goes from <laughs> yeah, being yeah. annoyed to less annoyed or what, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, well, what are you trying to say? If you don't create enough distance, people won't be able to tell the difference. Right. Right. It's like, don't argue with the floor and the distance, you, get, you know, from the ways away, you can't tell the difference. It's like, well, it's like, you need David and Goliath. You need to see Indy go from like, Hey, I'm over here to like, Whoa, be careful with that. Right. You need to be able to see that. Right. And if yeah. you never created that distance, it's going to be really, really hard for the audience to be able to keep up. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they, 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 well, it's just harder to get invested. Because you're not watching a transition or the, yeah. the, the stronger that the, the, the further polar opposite you can go. If you change somebody a little bit, there's really not much point to telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. If <laughs> right? Scrooge was just kind of a little cantankerous and you know, yeah. not as, not, not as, uh, as, as, as free flowing with his money as we'd like him to be. Right. He gives a little like, bit oh, to yeah, charity. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 right. You're like, then oh, okay. The, then he's not the yeah. same, right? Yeah. He has to be Scrooge. He has to be, yeah. you know, um, a guy who won't give anything. He has to be, That's you know, right. um, the guy who won't let his employee put a lump of coal on the fire. <laughs> a lump guy. of coal. Yeah. It's so because it's funny when you examine that, you go, it's it's funny. Yeah, like a <laughs> yeah. lump of coal. How far he pushed it—the contrast. Yeah, like one lump. No, 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 no. Don't go yeah. wasting a lump of coal on a, <laughs> yeah. a fire in the middle of the winter. It's <laughs> yeah. like he did. He he yeah. pushed it. Right. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of people don't do that. They won't go far enough. It's mm -hmm. uh, they um, 
That's a big thing. There's a lot of places where people don't go far enough. Okay, think about this. Indiana Jones, think about what he does at the beginning of that movie. He goes into a cave. There's all these crazy booby traps, right? There's this beautiful glittering, you know, statue. And then a giant stone ball rolls after it. Like, if you look at how far they push that, if you examine that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at how far they push that. (sighs) Mm Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I mean, it's awesome now. But I mean, if you were writing it, you're like, Eddie looks back. There's a, uh, a a stone the size of a small bus rolling towards him. You're like, wait, whoa, whoa. So, so the Aztecs went to a whole hell of a lot of trouble. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's like, it's like, yeah. But you always talk about theme beats logic, right? right. It's like, yeah, you got to push it. Yeah, logic, man. Logic kills more people. Um, in terms of their creativity, because yeah, um, plenty of things are not logical in stories that people like. Mm-hmm. When people start picking apart logic, it means that they're not emotionally involved in the story. And they start saying, oh, well, that would never happen. And that would never happen. That's true of yeah. every story. You Why know. do bears need beds? Hold on a second. They need <laughs> right. porridge. Right. Yeah, you lost me about five minutes ago. You're like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's lots of logic issues. Um, you know, as yeah. a matter of fact, you would think, well, if Goldilocks realizes that the third thing <laughs> is always just right, wouldn't she start skipping the first two things? Yeah. As she uh-huh. goes along. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Very, very tidy bears. <laughs> For her not to notice she was in a bear cave. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so there's always a logic issue, right? It's all about whether or not what what you need to tell the story, um, and whether or not that um you've got people following along enough to understand why with the point, like for instance, Groundhog Day is a really good example, right? Groundhog Day. um, And that's an example actually, in a lot of ways of having that outer boundaries really. Yeah. 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 Danny killed that. That's so good. Right. Cause he doesn't really, he doesn't really start with the crazy outer boundaries in the way that um, like, star wars or raiders but he does that thing because you can you can hold it but it can't go any further than that you know uh the end of the first act essentially right other other than now you've lost people but you can do it you can do it up till then now there's some great things he does that hint at it they do the same thing in the movie ghost um they'll hint at things in that way that that sort of primes people so um uh, when uh, when Phil has to go to Poxitani yet again and he doesn't want to go, you know, he says, because he's tired of going and doing this every year, and he says, somebody's going to see me doing this and think I don't have a future. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Right? Um, but but my, my point was that, too, that the studio wanted an explanation for why this was happening. It didn't work because you don't need it. Because people understand why it's happening. It's happening so this guy learns how to not be a jerk. Character's destiny. Right. Right. So you know the, what the character needs. Yeah. Yep. So they, it's, the Twilight Zone works the same way, right? Oh, yeah, sure. People understand. The, in fact, Groundhog Day is really a Twilight Zone episode. It's just a yeah, long totally. Twilight Zone episode, yeah. right? Um, yeah. The character goes from thinking one thing and feeling one way to go be in another way. It's totally a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Your book, Old Souls, is a Twilight Zone. It is a Twilight Zone. If yeah. people want to read it, you know, yeah. your version of a Twilight Zone episode, right? Yeah, it's a Twilight mm-hmm. Zone, right? So, um, because the Twilight Zone sort of doled out this sort of cosmic justice, right? Right. So the mean people, for the most part, the mean people got what they deserved and the good people got what they deserved. There were a couple of times when they broke that formula. Those are not my favorite ones. I think um, um, they, within the context of the show, set up a reality. Um, and sometimes they broke that because I think that reality just came out of who Rod Serling was. And I don't think he analyzed it. I just think he wrote, mm. th- that's just the way he thought things should be, right? <laughs> that this cosmic justice, I think that was just in him. And so when they broke that, he, he was going against who he was in a lot of ways. Um, but he didn't have it. He didn't understand it intellectually. I don't think that that's what he was doing. 
But you know, he, okay, so to take the Twilight Zone, it's a that's a great TV show to learn how outer boundaries works. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, if you go look like I'm just thinking about the big ones at least, but like you, you just go like, wow. I mean, they take the time to set the frame, right? Yeah, yeah. and so it, it, yeah, again, the coolest thing about this, if you think Brian's just you know I don't know blowing hot air or whatever, it's like then just go home tonight and listen to somebody talk and try to make sense of what they're saying without those outer boundaries. Right. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, if you don't get that, you don't even have a chance, you know, not only to finish to tell a story, but the most important thing, you don't even have a chance to affect someone emotionally because yeah. in the same way that you read the newspaper, it's like, you know, a person died today in whatever Seattle, Washington. You're like, Oh, that's too bad. Versus like, you know, your best friend died. You're like that time, you know, getting to know yeah. someone changes everything. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's in, in you mentioned old souls. Um, and I had, um, it was, you know, it was originally a screenplay. And when, when, uh, I had a manager at the time who basically asked me to take the outer boundaries out of the script. And mm-hmm. it's like, you can't understand what you're asking me to do. Um, and I didn't mean that as an insult. It's just, he couldn't have understood because once he read it, he couldn't unknow the outer. Oh, boundaries. that's interesting. Right. Right. Because you don't need that. I'm like, you, you can't say that because. How, you know what's coming, you know. So Old Soul starts with people reminiscing about yeah. ways they've died. Yes. One time I died like this. One time I died like that. Another time I died like this. And then you see a guy going on with his regular life. He works in a mall. right? You know, there's nothing crazy that happens there, really, that couldn't happen in real life. Right. Um, right. And, but what that does is it, is it allows me the time I need to get to know the character, to get to know what their life is like before I disrupt that life. Right. Yeah. Um, with what comes next. So it's like, Oh, so you, you have to know who this person is, what the, his family life is like, all that stuff. Um, well, th- think about th- it's like, how do you, how do you make die hard without setting up who John McClane is right. and his relationship with his wife? If yeah. all of a sudden it starts with the taking over of the tower and you got this guy who's barefoot kicking ass and all of a sudden, you you know, that you can tell that they don't want him to find out who is. Oh, I didn't know they were married. Why right. is that important? It's like, that's the whole. What do you mean? Why is that important? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Argyle, everybody. If, if you don't know yeah. those things. Yep. It's then what's the what's the point? Yeah. There's such a great, there's a great thing in that movie. There's a lot of great things in Die Hard, but there's a really great thing in that movie where, you know, they, when he comes to visit her, he lives in New York. She's moved to California, take this job. And they're, they're, they're not divorced, but they're separated and whatever. And, and you see them and they're kind of getting along. And then they have an argument about her moving out and the, the, all this stuff. So they have was her name was changed in the computer. Yeah. Her name was changed to her maiden name. And uh-huh. so, so uh, she's like, anyway. well, it's a Japanese company. And, and he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. But they have this argument. They have this fight. And um, anyway, later on, when the place has been taken over by the by the bad guys and uh, John McClane is like thwarting all their plans and uh, his his uh, Bruce Willis's wife, John McClane's wife, is sitting there as one of these guys runs through the room and he smashes something and she says he's still alive <laughs> and her friend says how do you know it's like only john can make somebody that upset and and there's that scene where they, they ask her her name and she gives her maiden name right right, right. uh yep. and you're like oh so yeah. it ended up protecting her just like she thought it would and you're like right. oh maybe john's not right about everything you know right. yeah <laughs> It's it's all that stuff where you're like, it's just really well constructed. All I'm saying is, if you just start with like, yeah, but it doesn't really, the action doesn't, the shooting doesn't even start until they take over the building. Why don't we start there? That'd be a cool way to open it, blah, blah, blah. You're like, okay, it would have been just another action movie yep. that came and went. It would not have been Die Hard, yeah. everybody's favorite Christmas movie or whatever, right? right? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, It's a Wonderful Life, another favorite yeah. Christmas movie starts yeah. with angels talking about George Bailey. Yep. Right? That's an outer boundaries. Then you just see George Bailey's life and it's pretty normal. There's nothing 
There's no angels in his life, right? <laughs> right. It's a pretty normal life. That's the way you do it. E.T. is the same thing, right? You start with E.T. with all the other aliens and uh, then E.T. gets left behind. Then you see Elliot and his life mm. and it's normal and there's no, you know, um, it's just. It's and just, Capra brought the angel back at the end, too. Yeah. You yes. know? Yeah. And you're like, wow, they just moved this relationship from heaven to earth. Mm -hmm. right between a, a father son spirit all of a sudden it's a it's a father holding his daughter and the bell rings and just you know, every time a bell rings and he just gets away he'd like and good old clarence or whatever you're, i'm just sitting there going like oh my god these people are so good at their job you know, it's like <laughs> holy shit it's still cyclical yeah he just brought it down to earth just like christmas i mean it's yeah. like oh my god this you know it's just like wow that's talk about yeah. just dunking on everybody you're like wow that was so yeah. well done. You know, it's interesting too. What people for, don't notice about um, uh, the Wizard of Oz is the Wizard of Oz doesn't have like early on uh, kind of outer boundaries in the same way that we're talking about, right? That outer boundaries is right. It's that that first act curtain is right. Is the outer yeah. when the tornado lifts her up and she goes out in its color. Then you go, oh, I'm into the second act, <laughs> right? Right when it's color, uh -huh. right? Yeah, but. That whole first act sets up uh, the three friends because it's and, the same yeah, it's three, right. Yep. right? Um, sets up um, when she when she runs away and she meets yep. the the uh, Professor Marvel, the fake like Swami guy. It's the yeah. same guy that is the wizard later. Um, yep. there, there's a it's all there who wants her dog, right? Yep. <laughs> right, right. It's all there. It's all the same actors, even. But it's all yep. the same thing, right? Because that goes to the the point, which is that she already had what she was looking for. She had all the same yep. things, right? So um, it's it's a really great outer boundaries because it's a it's sort of a thematic outer boundaries. Yeah, you know, it's so great. Yeah, even the name, like what you know, Mister Marvel, or you yeah, know, yeah. it's the, you know, off to see the Oz. It's the same yeah. shit. They both have bullshit titles. It's great. They're all just yeah. pretending. You know, it's yeah, so nice. awesome. Okay, so hopefully today was some training for folks. No need to race yet, right? But we learned this stuff so that when it's time for a race, we're ready. Um, so thank you, Brian, for this. If you want to learn more about this, specifically Outer Boundaries stuff, not only I would check out Brian's blogs, but really, if you haven't read Brian's book, Invisible Link, I would definitely check it out because you go even more in-depth than in there. So thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, sure. Thanks. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. 